0: The fury of the virus illustrates the folly of war. It is time to put armed conflict on lockdown and focus together on the true fight of our lives. Dear listener, we find ourselves amidst a true global crisis. Our interconnectivity is more apparent than ever, nothing seems what it once was.
1: Now is the time to radically realize a world which holds violence and conflict and stops excluding women and youth. As Chris continue to breathe, peace builders worldwide continue to work on a more peaceful world for tomorrow. This season is all about the peace builders making this needed change possible.
0: Listen to their inspiring stories and reimagine this new reality with us.
1: Welcome to the Peace Corner podcast, brought to you by GPAC, UNOY you know Peace Builders, CSPPS, and Pass Peace. Welcome back to the Peace Corner Podcast. My name is Charlotte DeHarder from CSPPS, and today I'm joined by special guest Nobile Moyo, who is the Director of Voices in the Vision for Africa and Regional Youth Coordinator for SafeX. We will be diving into the topic of youth as a driving force for change in Zimbabwe. First of all, I would like to know what inspired you to become a peace builder growing up in Zimbabwe. When did you first discover the peace building community?
0: Thank you for having me, guys. Pleasure to talk to you on such a key tropical issue. And um, well, as far as me being a peace builder, I think I'd like to think I've always been a peace builder um, because I've always been that kind of oppressive even when growing up, you know, where people would always come to me with their issues and, you know, how I would uh, mediate in their issues and, you know, unknowingly by then. But where I would like to think that from a professional perspective, where it turned professional now, was uh, some time in early 2000, when um, I'm a farmer, and I, I enjoy the outdoors also, you know. And so there was a program that was happening which, which you know, actually made me now to start being doing peace building at a professional level now, where, essentially, farmers were, were grouped into teams, and they were getting, like, funding from banking institutions under uh, the stewardship of the government. And unfortunately for me, I was removed from the list of the farmers in my particular area because I was said to be too young and I was at high risk. And, uh, you know, they, they thought that, you know, you're too young to, to access loans through the banking system. And I was removed from that list. So this prompted, uh, you know, through a series of events where I ended up then, you know, visiting the ministry's offices, the banks, you know, trying to get redress on this issue. And during those particular visits, it's when I started meeting up with a whole lot of other young people, mainly at the Ministry of Youth Office, where I would, you know, would spend almost sometimes the whole day there trying to get audience with the minister, the various um, staff at the ministry to address our issues. And through those interactions, when I was there, I would meet thousands of other young people who had different issues that were troubling them and that they were seeking redress for. And something clicked in me at that particular period to say that, you know, if all these young people are here with these issues, but there was no platform, there was no space where they could discuss these issues and then, you know, bring them up forward to the relevant authorities to seek redress. And, you know, it was at that particular point that I decided to start, you know, along with other a group of other young people where we decided, you know what, we need to create something that can, you know, speak to these issues that's when we we decided to start an institution or create a platform that would speak that would bring young people together from diverse spaces uh different backgrounds and speak to the issues that are affecting young people in a constructive and in a structured manner where then we engage with the various stakeholders from the different sectors and try to jointly offer solutions to them and um from then on then, we registered an institution uh, which which is voices in the vision for Africa, and we engaged various stakeholders and um that's how I started and uh, It was a new space because then you know Zimbabwe is a very polarized place and it's mainly polarized along uh, political lines and ethnic lines also so to have uh, a person like me from a a minority group, you know, now we're in a big space where I'm um, taking, where we were now taking young people from different spaces and different backgrounds and some from political parties, putting them in one room, you know, to try to get them to speak to national issues was a big challenge on its own. And uh, even the development community was, to some extent, not yet ready for that. But uh, we got some... Oh, uh, support from mainly the uh, UNDP, and they, they took a chance on us, and it was a big success. We managed to get young people from political parties, different political parties, you know, we trained them in dialogue and mediation and various other uh, aspects to enable them now to be to able to engage amongst themselves and to provide solutions to cross-cutting issues that affect us all as young people. And uh, then we, it was through this uh, it was a joint we called it the joint youth working group platform, and from that joint youth working group uh, through the successful uh, initiatives that we did, we ended up then uh, starting up now an interparty youth dialogue forum, which is now more specific to youth political party leaders, uh, the youth wings of all political parties in Zimbabwe, where we you know we would work across political parties and you know to Influence national decision making uh, from the political spaces, and also working on issues of uh, political violence uh, and some of the challenges that uh, young people were facing in the different spheres. So basically, I would like I would like to think basically that's how I came into this space and you know graduated from the national space to the regional and now to the continental and global spaces that we work in.
1: Yeah, so it's very clear that you're indeed getting your your motivation and your inspiration um, from uh, your daily life, um, which is bringing me basically to my next question already, because you already touched upon a certain uh, a couple of these topics, like Zimbabwe has seen a surge of political violence, uh, violations of human rights, uh, widespread allegations of corruption, economic crashes, and the legal system under threat. and as I said before, like in your work, you specifically focus on supporting youth and uh, their potential in leadership in state building and peace building. So how do you navigate this complex environment?
0: Well, I- indeed, it, it is a complex and uh, space and also to a very large extent even dangerous because it's, it's as I said before, it's, it's very highly politicized. Um, and, you know, was little acceptance of the middle ground here. It was either your left or your right. Um, so when we came into this space, we were reinforcing and recreating that middle ground where different stakeholders could come in still and, and discuss their issues. And it was not acceptable in certain quarters and even specifically more from the political side of, of issues. So we faced a lot of uh, challenges there. And, uh, and even at one point, I found myself almost being thrown out of a um, 10th floor window at some of the stakeholders that were, political parties that we were working with. I won't go into names, but you know, because they would see you, you were suspected by all fronts to be maybe a spy for either this political party or you're working for so-and-so or you're coming here to spy on us. But then through constant and consistency in how we were working with them, you know, we ended up getting the buy-in from the various stakeholders and and, and it started, it was working. And the complexities are that, although we as young people, you know, how we are very volatile and, uh, you know, sometimes even malleable given the vulnerabilities that we face from the social, the economic and political side of issues, you know where socially we're stereotyped as lazy young people, violent mongers, you know, a wasted generation. Economically, you know, we have not much of a big stake at the national table, where we are mainly in the informal sector, uh, where we're living mainly from hand to mouth. And within the political side of issues now, where we serve at the leader's pleasure, you know, through mostly what are tokenistic positions, where young people are not really allowed to speak freely their minds or to implement, you know, the the, the real programs that are going to be transformative to the young people that they're supposed to be representing. And, um, you know, we come really relevant to in that particular sphere when it's election time, you know, where we are now mobilizing uh, the electorate for, you, you know, the various sectors that we will be, that will be assigned to. So, that on its own, you know, are some of the complexities that you have to, uh, that by, you know, some would prefer to have a violent atmosphere because it works to their advantage. So you coming in now trying to bring in peace and understanding, you are literally what you're doing is you are messing up their political strategy or you are messing up their, their plans as far as how they, they, they position themselves or want things to unfold. So what we've managed to do, strategically what we did was to to study the environment, to understand even the historic past of Zimbabwe as far as issues of violence, issues of uh, how um, the political system is set up, so that then this enabled us then to be able to to, to devise strategies on how then best we engage with the various stakeholders, not necessarily um, doing any harm to any of the stakeholders. Um, without necessarily threatening anyone's position, but being able to illuminate the the core issues that we were trying to, that, that we want to achieve, specifically more as far as peace and nation building, cohesion and uh, reconciliation in the various spaces where um, that reconciliation and peace building is essential. So as an institution, what we decided, we, we didn't just decide to be peace builders but peace building also was a strategic uh, we could have been a pressure group we could have been a you know a lobby and advocacy group of course we do those but we specifically choose peace building to be the, the main forte of our institution because then peace building allows us to you know penetrate v- virtually every space each and every space we are not because peace building is a multi-sectorial uh, uh, field So we have the leeway to work with government, we have the leeway to work with the security sector, we have the leeway to work with the churches, we have the leeway to work with political parties, we have the leeway to work with schools, we have the leeway to work with each and every institution, especially even all the democracy building institutions from the human rights uh, to elections and even economic empowerment also. So peace building also was a very strategic one which has helped us to leverage on some of these complexities that that, that, that we that are uh, within our system.
1: Um, well, yes, thank you for sharing that, Nobile. Um, your story is really showing how confronting and hostile your work environment can be, but also how continuous di- dialogue between all relevant stakeholders can aid in improving both the stability as well as the sustainable development of a nation. Um, but then, particularly now, during COVID-19, As we all know, it has forced communities worldwide to go into lockdown. So without the ability to gather with local youth, um, build capacity with civil society partners in person and no space to protest, uh, how have you been able to engage people to ensure the voice of civil society is heard?
0: Well, during COVID, uh, it's been a very big challenge, I must must confess there. Uh, It's been a very big challenge because from us mainly as young people, there hasn't been a, a whole lot that we have been able to do. but what we've been trying to do uh, was to tap into was to 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 link with the relevant government uh, institutions you know because what we were realizing was that some of the responses or some of the the, the the initiatives that they were rolling out were were having some effects on the ground that they were not aware of, uh, and so it was important for us then to to reestablish that conversation, uh, the the dialogue with them, you know, that, you know, on certain certain issues, uh, on certain responses to COVID, it's it's important to be aware of A, B, C, and D issues. For example, you'll find that a lot of young people within the Zimbabwean context are mainly found within the informal sector. That's where they, they get their income. And because of the pandemic, the informal sector has virtually been closed. And the informal sector, usually you find that it's places that are, you know, usually where there are high populations, where they're, they're, it's crowded, where the, and so those kind of spaces have been closed down. And these young people are in lockdown, and they have got nowhere, they have got little to no savings, if, if at all. And, but at the same time, they still need to eat, they need, still need to feed themselves and their families. So, and when we started easing, the, the lockdown process, the priority was given to the formal sector. Yet when you find that from a national perspective, the informal sector is the biggest contributor to our GDP, but it wasn't that formal, because of its informality, it wasn't prioritized. The, the formal sector was given more priority. And so we had to engage in that conversation with, 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 uh, with government to say that, look, we need to come up with a way and a system which can allow the informal set- sector to start operating because that's where the majority of our population is. That's where the majority of our employment sector is because in Zimbabwe, almost 80% of the people imp- employed are in the informal sector. So we have had some headway there in the sense that now the government has introduced, uh, you know, criteria in which the informal sector can open that they need to to register, they need to comply with certain health uh uh, stipulations in line with the World Health Organization um, and also local uh, authorities also. It, it's it's a start because we have found that, yes, young people and even the broader population now uh, has had the opportunities now to start, you know, earning a living also, earning some income, you know. But still, there's still m- more work to be done because in the approach as to how even access to information as far as... Um, how do we fight this pandemic? What are the, 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 you know, the issues of social distancing, the issues of capacity building as far as you know, communities, as far as how they can you know, live with this particular pandemic, because it's gonna be there for a while. So given that the limited resources that government has, and even from a rich perspective, which is the space where we now as civic society, even as young people, Given that we're the majority of the population and we 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 are we have our avenues where we reach out to each other, we have then been engaging them to say that allow us then also to be part of that particular infrastructure of fighting this pandemic, so that we can reach out to more people much faster, and in the process save more lives. Webinars have been also been. Um, uh, an avenue uh where we do you know zoom meetings and this and that but they've had their own peculiar challenges given the context of zimbabwe in itself where you know data uh, data for 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 the internet is very much expensive and a lot of young people cannot access um you know do not have access to those funds to fund themselves on um uh, to, to be on the, the webness, So we've had to work innovatively with uh, certain partners also that can maybe even fund uh, data for these young people to, to plug into these online meetings and these online workshops. And uh, from an economic perspective, as I said before, w- w- with reference to the informal sector, uh, the space is slowly opening up, but we still need more uh, support from government as, and more leeway that allows more young people to come and uh, work within those spaces. I would want to mention maybe the political side of issues how covid has affected the political arena uh, or the context in Zimbabwe and uh, what what we've seen is that mainly government has maximized the the, the lockdown period to to further their own political interests uh, unfortunately and uh, because then you know, you would find that there's little room for people to respond, whether it's in the way of engaging as far as in uh, consultative uh, platforms. We are on lockdown, so we are not allowed to, to group. Um, and uh, at the same time, you cannot protest. And because of uh, the health risk, risk that it uh, it, uh, it brings out. So you'll find that uh, a lot of issues have been ha- happening at government level, which not necessarily the the, the population is in favor of, but because there is little room to respond, there's been uh, um, a lot of outcry from the people whilst they're still stuck in their houses. We have seen even um, of late even the opposition parties going out in the streets to protest, uh, you know, where they were doing flash protests and this and that. And we've seen them, you know, being, you know, swiftly being arrested and charged and fined. And, you know, there have also even been allegations of forced disappearances and, uh, you know, kidnappings and tortures. And, um, you know, such environments then, you know, bring out a different element of then how do we then engage with our very own government when key decisions are being made during such a period where we are not able to adequately respond to those issues or engage with them, where even... Bills to amend our very own constitution uh, are being tabled during such a period, where we would have expected that most probably at this particular juncture, the the, the such key issues would be maybe be uh, you know tabled or shelved or parked for a moment, up until we get to a a point where we are able then to freely engage with the government, freely engage with the necessary uh, institutions um, to 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 collectively map a way forward. But then you find that the political space has drastically shrunk and uh, COVID has uh, been a great cover up. And it, uh, for the young people, I think for us, it, it, uh, it has rejuvenated the need for young people to to without any doubt to find the need to participate in national politics and, in, you know, not to be passive as far as electoral processes are concerned, as far as, um, you know, all the, um, the key decisions that are being made at national level. Because it has showed how vulnerable we are. If we don't act or show up, no one else will come in our, in, in our place.
1: Yeah, thank you so much again. COVID-19 is clearly heavily affecting not only like the health of Zimbabwean uh, population, but also the domestic, the economic and political spheres. And um, if I'm not wrong, a large majority of Zimbabwean people is actually, um, are in fact youth. Almost 6% of the population of Zimbabwe is under the age of 25. But like you just said, it does not translate to representation in government or in positions of power. And you mentioned also that a lot of young people do not vote. So how exactly are you trying to engage the youth and make your and their voices heard?
0: Well, true. True. This has been, you know, the the situation that you find in Zimbabwe is also very uniform to most other African states here where you have this huge amount of uh, young people. There's a a very big population of young people. But then because of some of the economic challenges that we're facing or, um, you know, in in the midst of various other complex issues that are happening at, at, at government level, young people don't find space, you know, to participate and even be represented in national decision-making and policy-making for us. How we have been working as far as uh, the representation of young people has been, you know, as I mentioned before, that uh, we have the the different platforms that we have uh, as far as uh, the Interparty Youth Dialogue Forum and we have the Joint Youth Working Group and we have... uh, specific focus group discussions, whether we're looking at young women, uh, whether we're looking at students in schools and uh, in communities and in church. So within those particular discussions, w- what we've been doing in the past and even now going forward was that we've tried to be innovative in how these conversations do not just end as conversations or, or just as workshops. After each and every initiative, we we write up policy briefs, which we present Collectively present to Parliament, to the different portfolio committees, portfolio committees in our Parliament, and uh, the relevant government ministries, and uh, partners within, uh, you know, state and non-state actors also. And um, what we, some of the key fundamentals that we've highlighted was uh, that what we man- we successfully managed in 2013 to push for the revision of uh, the national youth policy which uh, we are glad that it had a lot of key issues or key youth aspirations that were uh, enshrined in it. But that alone, having a policy on its own has not been enough, whereby we have a lot of policies here in Zimbabwe, but the implementation part is where where it matters the most. And also for the youth policy, we have the same challenge because the Youth Act, that actually gives teeth for the youth policy to, to, to be enforceable is not in place. It's actually an old document that was, you know, crafted even during the colonial uh, periods, way back in before the, even the 1980s. So it's not relevant to the key issues that we put within our youth policy. And as a result, what we've been doing now is we've been, um, you know, riling up youth to say that, you know what, guys, we need to ensure that, our Youth Act is uh, aligned to the provisions, to, to, to the current youth policy. So that then, you know, because currently as it stands, we have a very good youth policy, but it's not enforceable. And neither can we hold our government or any of the stakeholders accountable as far as uh, youth representation and quota systems and, uh, you know, their participation in any, in, in all the, the key spheres that, that we envision uh, taking part in. So we, we we are in the process now of pushing for that Youth Act to be um, also revisited. And we already have uh, crafted a, a shadow Youth Act that we are hoping that, uh, you know, with time, it will also be implemented so that we can start having more accountability as far as the provisions that our youth policy has. And... Um, there's uh, also an initiative that we'd started uh, just before COVID where we now have uh, identified youth champions in, uh, mainly in parliament. Who we, we work hand-in-hand hand with uh, members of parliament and some of them who are actually young people, um, where we capacitate them and uh, th- they become our voice in parliament, where we sensitize them on the key issues that young people uh, need because you'll find that we don't have a lot of representation in parliament so this is uh, one of the strategies that we're using where we have uh, youth champions that speak and advocate for youth issues in parliament. And um, part of that push also has uh, actually yielded as far, um, where our government is now actually offering young people 10 seats in parliament because we've been pushing for more youth representation. So part of the bills that was... Uh, bill amendments that our government has issued out quite recently was there. They've offered to say that, look, we'll offer young people 10 seats, a 10 seat quarter system. Uh, and uh, as much as it's a welcomed move, but it fails, uh, it falls way short of our targeted uh, 50 seats. We are actually targeting 50 seats because our parliament has uh, almost 210 seats for MPs. This has been part of, uh, you know, as much as we are having the 10 seats, it's a welcome move. It hasn't been approved yet, but we're still going to try and push for more seats. But uh, I think it's a welcome move in the midst of all this. uh, That's why capacity building also has been very key for us, where we must have young people that are capable of, uh, you know, presenting their issues, engaging meaningfully, meaningfully with the government and the various stakeholders and showing the agency to handle the demands that we are putting forward. So I think it's very important that we, we show that we are mature and responsible enough and we know exactly what we're talking about by the manner in which we engage with them, by the manner in which we present our issues, by the manner in which we propose uh, the developments that we are envisioning. So as far as the opportunities, you know, to lead in the COVID uh, uh, crisis, sadly it, it's very slim and almost non-existent because of some of the challenges that I've mentioned as far as uh, uh, finances and even the funds from um, partners and uh, you know, even from government itself which is virtually almost uh, you know, struggling to to, 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 to to maintain the social contract it has with citizens. We
1: also like to share some messages of hope and, and joy. So would you potentially have like an inspiring story to share with our listeners?
0: I think we have um, a very, very, very able youth constituency in Zimbabwe. Very intelligent, uh, very knowledgeable and, and yearning to just get the space to, 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 to show what they are made of. But uh, what I would like to say is we must be aware that no one else uh, is going to come and emancipate or or you know, free us young people uh, from the sidelines that we have been relegated to. Except ourselves, you know, we are the ones that we have been waiting for. You know, let's not look to anybody else but to ourselves. With all the the knowledge, the education that we have, we 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 are very literate and very educated uh, demography. And with the technology that's available to us, uh, and um, you know, this we need to learn how to maximize on the spaces that we have. The, you know, that are linked to the to the corridors of influence and power by ensuring that, you know, we, we have our main issues or our main uh, agenda heard and understood and implemented and youth issues mainstreamed in the socio-economic and political, political arenas uh, within uh, our, our system here. And uh, some key issues that we need to um, really be weary of and take seriously is that, as young people, we, we we need to learn, you know, uh, and master the art of organizing amongst ourselves, and more importantly, supporting each other within the different sectors that we operate in. You know, um, we are still polarized to a great extent, but as much as we've the progress that we've made, we still need to depolarize ourselves and, and come together. You know, high intellect without the necessary practical actions is not enough. to to bring about any meaningful change. We must engage and occupy the spaces, you know, that enable us to address the challenges of our generation at this particular time. Let's think and plan, let's think big. Let's plan big and long-term. And and, and such kind of planning and thinking long-term now requires us then to, to be very strategic and to be very deliberate with with the various uh, approaches that we take with the various stakeholders that we are working with we are our own liberators no one else will and as much as covid uh, has been um, has had the negative effects that it, it's had globally and also even from a national and local perspective i think covid has actually done a global reset in, in different sectors or in spheres here And uh, what it has done, it has allowed us, it has given us leeway to to, to catch up and to reposition or to renegotiate our seat at the table with uh, other key stakeholders, both, you know, at continental level and within the individual countries uh, as stakeholders. But what we must uh, do now as young people is then we need to be very concise as far as how we leverage on some of the changes that, that COVID has brought as far as our politics is concerned, as far as our economics is concerned, as far as the labour force, which we very much are, uh, that, that, that we are, how then do we reposition ourselves for better outcomes? As far as the issues that we are the, the fa- we are facing, how then do we play a key role as far as bringing our governments, our institutions, to be aware of some of these challenges, and them then also as we redefine and reorganize some of our institutions, how then do we plug in right now and make sure that we get ourselves uh, into those spaces so that we can also then be actively participating and play meaningful roles as far as uh, development is concerned within our constituencies? We must no longer be passive to, you know, to electoral processes, uh, corruption, the human rights violations. We must engage in and hold to account our governments and other democracy-building institutions not just for ourselves, but even for the generations to come. Because we need to think transgenerationally. We shouldn't think just for ourselves here. That needs us then to to, to, to be very strategic, to be very, um, not to be selfish, but we need to come together and be willing to put the work in and not to be afraid. I think fear has been one of the key issues that has brought us back. But I think we should not be afraid. We should be brave enough to to come out and speak issues as they are and claim the spaces that we that belongs to us and implement what we think is best for us and for generations to come we are not leaders of tomorrow but we're leaders of today and for the future
1: wow thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today nobile and especially for your last uh, very passionate message of hope uh thank you so much again it was really really great
0: having you thank you for having me Thanks for listening to the Peace Corner podcast. We amplify the voices that pursue a sustainable peace, especially now in the face of a pandemic. Keep reimagining a better world with us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you might be listening.